Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to DA Rockstars. Let's start this by saying it is extremely easy to accidentally delete eight episodes of the podcast. <laughs> and I know this firsthand because I did it. Uh, I realize that there's some listeners out there that um, have found the podcast enjoyable and want to hear all of the episodes. So I was able to recover all eight of them and put them in a bulk episode here for you. So thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoy. So glad I was able to recover them. And as always, if you have any tips, tricks, or pearls of your own, feel free to share them. Thanks, guys. Hey, DA Rockstars. I'm your host, Rhonda Holman, laying down some communication pearls. I've been dental assisting for 20 years, and I figured out some pretty amazing ways on how to translate information to the patients. Uh, whether it be about an appointment, about a procedure, about a condition, we are going to cover all of them and hopefully help up your game. Okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to connect with your inner flight attendant or stewardess. <laughs> I'm not even sure what they call them nowadays, but I have found the mother of all translation opportunities presented to me through same day crowns and bridges. Um, I, I guess depending on whatever technology you use, there's still the time between final margination and scan to initial try-in. The, the design time, the mill time, and those all vary depending on what type of material you're using. But here we go, ready? You sit the patient up and you look at them and you say, Bob, at this point, we're going to go ahead and turn the seatbelt sign off. Feel free to move about the cabin. However, the no smoking sign will continue to stay on. And you can lead that into saying, go stretch your legs. It's going to take a minute. You know, it could be upwards of 20, 30 minutes where they could just be sitting in the chair and not given the opportunity to, you know, go grab a coffee or a water or get some fresh air, or use the restroom, like all of these crucial things handle something at the front desk uh, with their count. But they wouldn't know unless you communicate to them and you are their advocate and you want to make it as fun and as transparent as you can. So you guys make it your own, put your own spin on it. However, that has really helped me with this specific procedure to try and break up that long appointment. So hope you guys are able to utilize it and it is a better communication experience with your patient. All right, guys, I thought I'd drop one more pearl. Since we were talking about crown and bridge restorations, depending on where your margin is, your dentist may drop it down to the gingiva. And if you're in a state where dental assistants are allowed to place retraction cord, this pearl is for you. I like to describe to patients um, the way the tooth and the tissue sits together is like a, a neck and a turtleneck. And I'm going to take this little retraction cord and I'm just going to place it around your turtleneck and going to just push your turtleneck down. That way we can see exactly where you stop and your new restoration is going to begin. And also, I mean, this is where as a dental assistant, you can up your game a little bit. If that margin is not on the gingiva or subgingival, you don't need a retraction cord there. I've seen so many dental assistants that'll just go measure a tooth, whether it be a premolar molar, the anterior tooth, whatever it is, and they will put a retraction cord completely circumferencing the tooth, even if there's no margin drop there. Uh, so just, you know, your dentist will thank you. The patient will thank you. Their tissues will love it if you don't place retraction cord where it's not needed. So that was a really good tip 
to upping your dental assistant game, knowing where the margins are, and also communicating to the patient on what retraction cord actually does. Ooh, and another tip. When you're placing an astringent or, um, you know, some people place a hemostatic agent on the actual cord, go ahead and dab it off on a two-by-two. You want that field to be as dry as possible because it'll really help you be able to tuck that tissue away without hurting the CMJ or pushing too hard to where it starts getting traumatic. So that's my pearl. Hope it helps. Okay, dental assisting rock stars, thanks for tuning into this podcast. As always, feel free to leave a comment. If you have any tips, tricks, or pearls of your own, let's share them. Let's all band together as a dental assisting tribe to all upper games so we can be the best of the best. So until next time, keep on sectioning. So that that. Hey, DA Rockstars, Rhonda Holman here, your host with episode number two. I'm so excited. This week, I want to talk about being a cheerleader for the office. What I want you to do is to brag. There is nothing wrong with going to your friends and family and new acquaintances and telling them who you are, where you work. You, If you have the passion and you have pride in your office share it. Don't expect financial kickback or marketing bonuses or anything like that. Do it because it's the right thing to do. If you have a product and a team and an office and a dentist and a hygienist that are all exceptional, there is nothing wrong with bragging about that. You can even do it on social media. I know that a lot of people um, in their settings under their personal profile on their Facebook, they have the opportunity to put where they work. Why not throw that in there? It's a great plug for the office. It gets you out there. It creates um, a sense of um, ownership, if you will, uh, and pride. And so that's a good way to go about it too. If your office is good at social media and generating content and say they distribute it every day, maybe two or three times a week you grab something that you think is, uh, even if you're not tagged in it, just grab it and share it. It costs nothing to share stuff, to share content, to get your word out there, to reinforce how amazing you guys actually are, how amazing your team is. And, you know, bring a new light to your uh, practice. Uh, And with that being said, what I also want you to look at is if you do tag yourself as a worker or works at, employed at, whatever, I can't remember exactly what it says. Just be conscious about what you present on your profile. (laughs) I know that that, you know, it could look good for the office, but if, you know, you're super into selfies or maybe have inappropriate opinions, maybe just filter yourself a little bit um, if you do attach yourself to the office. Um... And then as far as cheerleading, spread the word. If you know what you are doing is amazing and where you work is amazing and you're literally helping people, why not brag about it? Say you're at a softball practice or you go to a recital and intermission and you talk about what you do. Wear stuff that has your office logo on it. They're super simple things. 
Say you meet a new friend. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I've literally never met a stranger. Uh, I actually enjoy the um, anticipation of meeting new people. And I think that's what drove me to be a dental assistant is because I literally get to meet someone new every day of my life. And it's amazing. I feel like everybody has something that they can share or I can learn from to make me a better person. And any opportunity that I get to meet a new person makes me extremely delighted. But why not hand them a business card? Uh, you know, say, hey, you know, we've we've chatted. We know each other now. Um, if you ever need anything, this is my business card. Uh, if you're ever looking for a dentist or anybody around here is, it's not cheesy, guys. It's not like you're selling Tupperware. You are literally delivering a service for the public in a positive manner that only helps to impact lives in a great, amazing way. It's not buying something. So don't feel like you're a salesman. You're literally just a passionate team worker and you want to help spread the word that you guys are there because that's the thing. It's all about communication. If somebody doesn't know you're there, then how are they ever going to find you? <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with being an office cheerleader. And that being said, people are more likely to schedule an appointment at a dental office when there is a personal relationship. And this doesn't have to be best friend, family member. This can be somebody you met, you spent five minutes with, you got to know them, you gave them the card um, and said, if you ever need anything, this is where I work. It's a, an amazing dental office. Um, and we would definitely, you know, we're always accepting new patients. We'd be happy to have you. No pressure whatsoever, but that card's in their pocket. And the first thing they're going to do is when one of their kids is in a accident with a motorcycle or a dirt bike or a bicycle or whoever have you at football, they didn't wear their mouth guard. They're going to think of you. You're going to be their personal connection to the office. Um, and so that's a great way to generate new patients. And I don't know about you guys, but if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. The more patients that I can help uh, bring into the office as new quality patients that are emotionally attached to me, the better I feel, the better the doctor feels, the better the business does, the better it all does for everybody. Um, so that's my cheerleading tip for the day. Like I said, don't be afraid to brag, guys. Market your practice. Spread the word. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and that I work at column, tag your office. Um, here's the deal. When you are treating patients, if you're a passionate dental assistant who genuinely cares about oral health, you care not only inside that dental office, but you care outside of it. And I, I mean this as I literally spend four hours a week doing individualized CE. I utilize the internet like you read about. Anybody that knows me will tell you. <laughs> that I am notorious for finding articles that are evidence-based um, as far as research goes and, and learning how to improve the way I perform in the office, my knowledge base. Here's the deal. I didn't go to dental school. I have an associate's degree. I am a dental assistant of 20 years. But I got to tell you that now with the internet, you guys can literally know a giant chunk of what a dentist knows. There's no reason to, you don't have to diagnose, you don't have to treat, but there's nothing saying that you can't know what they're looking at. And by knowledge is power, that is a very, very true statement. 
the more you know, the better you feel in your career field. And there's nothing wrong with going and just spending time on yourself to, to grow yourself. And in turn, that'll grow your profession. So you guys, seriously, utilize it. There's so many amazing Facebook groups that will have providers on there that you can learn and, and get a well-rounded understanding of certain situations. Like right now, <clears throat> for example, uh, we are in my office on a mission to prevent, control, and resolve childhood airway disorders so that they do not evolve and develop into adult sleep apnea. Uh, And I can't tell you how many hours I've spent online just looking at information, trying to grasp and understand exactly what it is, connecting all the dots. Like maybe no one will ever ask me my opinion about it or need a second look at anything. But I know in my heart, that I've tried to understand it to the best of my ability. And it's, it's you know, there's going to be things where I'll read and I, I have no clue. I can't connect the dots. I didn't go to dental school. I don't understand the lingo. It looks like all Latin to me. I'll take it to my office. If you work for an amazing doctor like I do, you just present it to him. You say, hey, you know, I, I don't understand AHI. I did this when we were first um, diving into airway issues. She explained it. It was amazing. Like they have the knowledge. Tap into that. Do your homework at home. Expand your knowledge base. If there's anything that you can't understand or grasp, take it to work. They love it. I don't know about you guys, but every dentist I've ever worked for is passionate. They're all scientists. Like they all know so much there's like this giant fountain and you literally have their undivided attention um especially you know you have to be a little bit careful about what you talk about over the patient because you don't want to scare them when you're like diving into health concerns but they are an amazing resource guys use them not only will they be proud of you for going out of your way to expand your knowledge base but they will be more than helpful and I guarantee not a single dentist out there that I've ever met. And I mean, I'm, I just, I can't see it ever happening to where they don't get proud when they see that you are committed to your profession and that you want to do better, be better. So guys, be a cheerleader, support your office, support your team, get yourself out there, get your office name out there and let's all rock it. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Keep on suctioning. Hey, DA Rockstars, your host here, Rhonda Holman, with episode number three. This is a doozy, guys. I've got Tanya on the podcast this week, and she is sharing her tips, tricks, and pearls to up your game to DA Rockstar status. Hope you enjoy. Hey, DA Rockstars, we have a special guest for you today. I've got Tanya on the line. She's going to be sharing her tips, tricks, and pearls in order to help you guys become DA Rockstars. Hey, Tanya, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, guys. This is Tanya. My name is Tanya Cahoon. I've been a dental assistant for almost 20 years, and I enjoy every bit about it. I came into the field just because of the influence of my own person. So one would work on me while the other one would give me jokes. So I really enjoyed the whole <laughs> journey. Okay. So once I entered the field, at that point, I was um, 
pursuing a pre-dentistry degree at Montgomery College, and I was doing both. So I was going to college in the daytime, and I'll do evening classes for my dental assistant program. But I never regret one bit of it because the program allowed me to pay for my college books and also helped out with the tuition. So while I was in college, I had this awesome career. So I'd go to school and I also work part time in dentistry. Then eventually I became full time. So I really enjoyed this field. Now, I also during my career, I continued to do my CE credits, which really helped me along the way to learn more about the materials, the different advancement in dentistry, because, you know, dentistry is moving on an advanced level, which knowing the different products or the different softwares that are being introduced every day, it's very important. So I learned that through doing as much CE credits as I can possibly. Now, as I go through my field every year, I try to give back. So what I do, I volunteer in different areas. I volunteer with this awesome group called Team Smile. So Team Smile is all over the U.S. They go to each and every state in the U.S. So when they come to Maryland, I'll volunteer on the back-to-school program at the Redskin Stadium. And they're also coming in the next three weeks. So we are volunteer and give back to the community, which is great. And right now, currently, I'm working in a general practice, which I do love. But throughout my field, my career, I have worked in the, end of, in the endophile, I've worked in the periophile, I've worked in the prosteophile. So I've worked in a wide variety, and I've spent at least 10 years in the pediatric area, okay? So this field, dentistry, I'm enjoying it, and I'm enjoying it more. But I also have some tips for the rock star assistant. Dental assistant is a great field. But we are here to really help our patients. So I'm a big advocate of setting up procedures completely, okay? So when these procedures are, com are completely set up, what it does, it makes it real easy for both you and your provider and also for the patient care, okay? So setting up completely, it helps in many ways. One, you'll be able to begin your procedure on time or you'll finish it before time or the time that's allotted. So I'm going to give you an example for restorative setup, okay? Restorations and, you know, cosmetic dentistry. A lot of restoring is going on in most practices right now from restorations to crown prep. So if we're starting on the, on the instrument side for restorative setup, you make sure that you have your basic setup, which is a mirror, explorer, and a cotton plier. You want to make sure you have your spoon excavator, whether it be both small and large, making sure that you have your condensers, both small and large condensers. Then you also want to make sure you have your burnishers, whether it be ball burnisher or an acorn burnisher on that same tray. And you always want to make sure you have your articulating holder with the paper in it. On that exact tray, you want to make sure you have at least four two by twos, four cotton rolls. You want to make sure you have a piece of floss there. Make sure you have um, also your anesthesia with your syringes. So you want to make sure you have anesthesia for the maxillary and also the mandibular. And then you want to also make sure you have topical on that tray. Now, when it moves down to your hand pieces, ensuring that you have both high speed and slow speed hand pieces and making sure that you have all your composite burrs ready. Now, when it comes on to your burrs, you want to make sure you have your carbide, your round burr, all your polishing burrs for the complete setup. Then we're going to move to the material side of the composite, okay, of your composite setup. Making sure you have etch, you have bond, whether it be one-step or two-step bonding system. 
making sure that you have your curing light, a flowable and a packable composite. And it's very important that you have a liner out just in case that decay drifted too close to that nerve. So your, your doctor be able to line the pulp before completing that procedure. So making sure that you have a liner on hand is really, really important. Also making sure that you have a mouth mirror for retraction because it's very important. Also making sure that you have your dry angles out, making sure that for isolation, you have more cotton rolls and two by twos on your side and a dry angle on your side and making sure that you are going to be communicating with your provider, but also you want to stay ahead of him or her. You have to make sure you're 10 steps ahead. So before he needs that instrument, before he needs that material, you're able to hand it to him. So the procedure will go through effectively. And I'm also a big advocate on communicating with your, pa with your patients because you want to, as that patient enter your practice as a new patient, you want to build a great rapport with them, a warm and welcoming rapport. And also making sure that you have, you're knowledgeable of the materials and of the procedures because your patient can at any minute turn to you and ask you whether or not, should I, do I need an FMX? Should I have a bite wing? What's the difference? You want to be able to explain to them thoroughly the need for that FMX and the need for that bite wing x-ray. So these are making sure you know the procedures clearly, being able to explain to your patient, it makes you a more efficient assistant. You know what you're saying, and then your patients are able to trust to move through with their treatment. Okay, ladies? Uh, well, that, you know, those are some really handy tips. And, you know, we were talking about um, when, she, when you mentioned knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And, yes. and I know what, there's a lot of assistance out there, especially if you've been in the game for a while. I know yes. you're looking at a, a radiograph. It's two-dimensional. You didn't go to school to diagnose. But after a while, guys, you really can pick it up. You can see what they see in the radiograph. That all comes yeah. down to CE and just turn it, understand it from a fundamental level. And that way yes. you can be a little bit, e you know, you can even be more prepared for what that dentist may or may not need mm -hmm. by expanding totally. your knowledge base. Totally agree. So the more knowledgeable you are as dental assistant, the more, you know, you one, your patients are trusting you and also your provider. Your provider can depend 100% on you, like, you know, setting up and, you know, you, you're also going to be ahead of him. You know, patient comes in for pain and, you know, you know, you're bringing that patient back. Instead of going to get your provider, you'll be a PA, an x-ray ahead of time. Yep. And you know exactly what's happening on this x-ray. You can go back and say, doc, well, there be something going on here. So... At a certain point, as a dental assistant, you're not diagnosing, but you're seeing what's going on. So you can discuss that with your provider. Yeah, you're, you're the triage point. And, you know, there's yes. a lot of dental assistants out there that once you get comfortable with it, it, it becomes second nature. It really does, guys. Yes, it becomes second nature. And, you, you know, you continue to grow and love this field because it's a great field. Dentistry has become so advanced in many ways. If you compare it to from now, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't at this level. At this point, most of the materials are changing, one, for, you know, better procedures, two, to make sure it's really efficient, and three, it's solving a lot of problems. So 
we're in a great profession which we want to just grasp and just continue to grow. You can continue to grow in many ways. Your CE credits and be knowledgeable of what's happening in your in your dental practice. Absolutely. Well, Tanya, those are some amazing pearls. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. We're so happy to yep. have you on DA Rockstars and look forward to maybe having you back on another time to share some more tips, tricks, and pearls. All right. Thank you so much, Rhonda. It's a pleasure being on the Rockstar. All Thank right, Tanya. Fruit. Keep on suctioning. All right. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of DA Rockstars. And a special thank you to Tanya for sharing her tips, tricks, and pearls to help us up our game. Feel free to leave something in the comments. If you have anything to share, let us know. Let's spread the word. Let's all grow. Okay, guys. So until next time, keep on suctioning. Hey, guys. Welcome to DA Rockstars. Your host here, Rhonda Holman, laying down episode number four. This week, we have a special guest. John Hatfield is on the podcast. He is a pizza aficionado. He is also a co-founder of Dental Assistance Worldwide. It's an amazing Facebook group that you can join or like their page. They've got great dental assistant content. So be sure to check that out. And here's the kicker. Are you ready? He was 2013 runner-up for Dental Assistant of the Year. So this guy's got some amazing credentials. He is going to be sharing his wisdom on how to plan retirement. So basically, the takeaway will be how to pay to play later, guys. So stay tuned. All right, John. So why don't we talk about treatment planning for your future, if you will. Are there any tips, tricks, or pearls that you want to share about retirement? Absolutely. Um, I think the biggest thing is that you're never too young or never too old to think about a healthy retirement because in our career field, how many times do you see somebody working until their late 60s, early 70s? It happens all the time. And why is that? It's because dentists aren't going to help you prepare for your retirement you need to take control of that yourself. So uh, a couple tips we can talk about. Um, you know, you need to look at your retirement plan if you have one. Recently, we did a poll in our dental assistant group and over 50% of dental assistants do not have any type of retirement plan. Oh, wow. That's, it's staggering. So with that being said, if you do not have a retirement plan, you need to sit down with some kind of an investment advisor, financial advisor. Um, you can always take control of it yourself. Look into Roth IRAs. Now, the bad thing about that is a Roth IRA has a max of $5,500 a year that you can contribute. And once you hit over 50, Get this, you can contribute $6,500. So whenever you think about that, every year you contribute that, you know, are you really going to be living off of five, $5,500? So you really have to start that early to get that snowballing, to get that, uh, get that effect going as far as building monies upon monies. Right, because don't they, like, uh, I know it's um, certain they, they do like an average of what your yearly income was going to be uh, to kind of project where you're going to be when you want to retire so that you can do it when you want to and not because you, you know, you, you don't have to be committed. If you're, if you're done with dentistry, totally cool. 
if you have your comfort blanket already set up, I mean, there's, there's nothing better than that. You get to enjoy what you do for as long as you want. And at the end of the game, you've planned for those days with the kids and the grandkids and vacations. Yes. Yes. So what you want to do is depending on when you get into this game, you know, if you're investment wise, here's a couple of quick tips. Investment wise, if you're 23 and under, they say you should be taking 7% of your salary and setting that aside for investment. Once you hit that 23 to 40 window, you should be investing 10 to 15%. And if you're one of these people who don't invest anything, now all of a sudden you're 40, you should be putting aside 30% of your salary to keep going and living the way that you are after retirement. And a lot of people don't realize that's how much it takes because it's estimated that you need to be bringing in 80% of your current salary if you want to live comfortably at retirement. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you lay down those facts and figures, I mean, it really is eye opening. Yeah. And don't be one of these people. You, you can't give up. Don't be one of these people. Okay. Maybe you're 40 and you say, you know what? I haven't invested anything. Forget it. I'm, I'm going to die early anyway. I'll just work till I'm dead. This is one of those cases where really anything is better than nothing. And you yeah. also can't be one of these people that you think, well, my spouse, you know, they got, they got a good plan. I'm just going to piggyback off of that. Two things can go wrong with that. One, what if something happens to you and your spouse? You see it all the time. People just do not make it. And then even if they do, you can't rely on one person's income to carry the both of you. So, and, and anymore, people are outliving more people than ever. So 80s, 90s, 100s, people just are outliving yeah. what they did years ago. And some people are outliving their current retirement by you know, 10, 20 years. So, you know, and if you're married, there's a 25% chance that one of you are going to make it into your nineties. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you did retire at say, if you wanted to retire at 62, 66, whenever you're comfortable with it, you're still going to have another 30, 40 years. Exactly. And that's, that's a long time. And how many times do we have patients come in? They say, I'm on a fixed income. I can't afford anything. You know, don't be, don't be that person because that's exactly what's going to happen. These people, you know, they have to go back to work as a Walmart greeter. You know, they're, yeah. they're 70, 80 years old because they didn't have the tools that we have now when it comes to being able to project retirement. So these tools are at your fingertips. You need to sit down, do a little research and guess what? If you say, well, I really can't afford 10%. There's things you can cut out of your daily life, whether it's, a Starbucks trip once a week or, or maybe a movie there, you have to make sacrifices because you do not want to be that person who now all of a sudden you're going back to work. Yep. So I would yeah. sit down, you know, look things over with your spouse, talk to your spouse or your significant other. Then when you go to work, you need to look at your retirement plan, see where you can invest more, you know, some of the biggest differences, if you actually have access to a 401k, 401ks are nice because they're pre-tax. So the tax works differently now, but whenever you go to withdraw it, 
you're going to get taxed. So if you're looking and saying, well, I have 300,000, yeah. guess what? You probably have about 150. And- yeah. And it's hard for, you know, especially young dental assistants starting their career to, to have the forethought to see those numbers of what they're going to actually be when it comes time to withdraw. Right. And you know, Rhonda, what's one of the biggest mistakes we talk about? Okay. You're, you're quitting your job. You're going to a new job. What do we not want to do? You do not want to cash out your 401k. Exactly. Exactly. You know why? (laughs) Because when you have that, if you started a a 401k at 20 and now you're 25, you're leaving, you want to keep, you want to keep that going because that compounded money, that's what's going to make you the money. Did you know that if you invested from 23 to 40 and then you stopped completely, then it's 63, you go ahead and take out your money. Did you know that you're going to have more money as opposed to someone that invested from 40 to 63? Even though that person invested for six more years, that compound money will have sat there You invested for 17, it sat there for another 20. You're going to have more money than someone that invested six more years because of the timing. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it grows and develops itself if you have the patience to to have the forethought to go ahead and do it right out there. Exactly, exactly. You need to take take serious charge of what's going to happen to your future because, if, like I said, if you don't do it, nobody will. What, what is that, John, That's uh, that, that quote? It says, you don't want to work to live. You want to live to work. So if you're a passionate dental assistant, you want to be a rock star. You can do it because with comfort comes joy. Like the minute you actually feel like you sit on top of the mountain, you're the best dental assistant that you're ever going to be. You really do enjoy it. And you don't want that to be a burden that you have to think about. I have to work because I can't afford not to. You want to be able to say, well, I'm done working because... I've, I've met all my goals. I've discovered all my passions and now it's time to let somebody else take the reins. Right. And this is, this is one of those benefits, one of those perks we always talk about. So you need to take full advantage of that. Don't think to yourself, my practice matches 3%, matches 5%. That's all I'm going to put in, put in that little bit of extra so you can get your compound going. Cause that is what's going to make the difference. And if you don't have one of these retirement plans, you need to talk to your manager your owner, whoever it is about implementing one, because the problem with dental assistants now and going back to their value is that we are not asking for what we are truly worth. Right. And you know, what is funny is that a lot of dental assistants in my time see a bonus as being more valuable than a benefit. Uh, They don't realize the value of the benefits that they receive during their employment. So they're bickering about pennies instead of the dollars that are going to help you out in the long run. Absolutely. Rhonda, that is, that is a great call. Yeah. Well, John, so, so, so glad to have you on DA Rockstars. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I look forward to having you on again because this, I can't, I can't imagine that there's not going to be a desire to hear more about this because game planning is crucial, be, you know, because it's, it's kind of the end game. Like everybody has a game plan. And if they don't, they need to get one and definitely come to you. Where could they find you if they needed some advice? You sound pretty knowledgeable. So I, if I was a, a young dental assistant and I thought, hey, this sounds interesting. I want to learn more. Where would they find you? Uh, well, um, 
ultimately you can find us in the uh, dental assistant worldwide group on Facebook. We are also on Instagram. Uh, we have a, a like page on there as well, but most of the action, if you are a dental assistant, you are more than welcome to join the group. Uh, that's where most of the chat goes down. And, you know, certainly we talk about important topics such as this on a daily basis. Well, that's great. John, thank you so much for being out there. And I'm so happy to know you. Thank you. You've really, you helped me, you know, have a, a little bit more secure feelings about what I have done to ensure that I can retire comfortably. Great, Rhonda. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope that our message gets out there for all dental assistants to hear. All right, John. Take okay, care. Okay, thank you. All right, Thank bye. you. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of DA Rockstars. As always, let's all share our tips, tricks, and pearls to band together as a dental assisting tribe to do better and be better. So until next time, keep on suctioning. Hey, DA Rockstars, your host here, Rhonda Holman, with episode number five. All right, guys, I am flying solo this week, and I really, really want to highlight some of the stuff that I'm actually like a self-proclaimed expert in patient communication. I have the skills to take information from a clinical place to a relatable place. So stay tuned. I'm going to lay down a couple of my pearls and hope they help. Okay, guys, before I jump into clinical, let's start from scratch. I want to walk you guys through what I do when I'm receiving a patient from reception to maybe help you guys up your game a little bit. Um, what I want to emphasize on especially is how important it is to know what your patient looks like. Say they've only been in for recare and you've never gotten the chance to meet them. Go into their digital chart, look under patient images, and take a quick shot of what they look like. That way, when you go to the reception room to receive them, you can literally look Jane right in the eye and say, okay, Jane, come on down, spin the wheel of teeth, it's your turn. That's, that's my go-to. Um, it takes them out of their headspace and kind of gets a chuckle out of them. Or, you know, even better, if they're the only one in reception at the time that you're receiving them, you can tell them that they're the winner by default. <laughs> and that on the other side of the door, beautiful and healthy smiles are happening and they get to be one of the chosen ones. Um, and as far as taking them back to the operatory, I think it's super, super important, guys, that you don't walk in front of your patient. Walk next to them. It literally, when you walk in front of a patient, it takes their power away. So they're already probably a little anxious. I don't care who you are. If you've had dental treatment, you know it's, it's a very personal experience having someone in your mouth for any amount of time and not having control. So if you give them even just a little bit of control, just by having them walk with you, it really helps. And, uh, you know, so basically as you're walking down the hallway, this is your chance to say, oh, you know, how are the kids? Because hopefully you did your homework and you know that they just had a son graduate from college. Um, take that time to ask them about that then. You know, if you don't know any of the personal facts, feel free to ask about the weather. What's it like outside? You know, I've been in here for a while. Um, do you have any plans for the summer? How are the holidays? Uh, anything like that. Just to get them out of that headspace where their anxiety, if they have it, is going to be building and distract them. And my favorite part with kids is this is kind of like the polar opposite because I actually want you to lead them down to the operatory. But <laughs> ask them to walk this way. 
<laughs> and be as goofy as you can. I know a lot of times my go-to is the waddle. So like the penguin where you do the feet that are facing outwards and you got your palms facing outwards. Um, and literally I'll just tell them walk this way and they're like, no, you can't go to the room unless you walk this way. And so they literally will follow you and waddle with you. And it's super cute. You get a chuckle out of it. The coworkers get a chuckle out of it. Mom and dad, if they're with the child, they get a chuckle out of it. And it takes that kid to a happy place that distracts them from what's about to happen. Okay, guys, so we've made it to the operatory with your patient. What next, you ask? Oh, what a great question. Here we go. So if it's for my adult patient, what I like to do is when we get to the operatory, I'm like, oh, look at this. You're in room five today. This is our VIP room. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. But it gets them out of their headspace. It's just another way of emphasizing your value for all of your rooms, even if it's like this random operatory that has like no windows and um, barely any setup. I mean, it's pretty much only good for exams and photographs, but every room is a VIP room. And when you get in there, you go, okay, there's a hook over here for your jacket or pocketbook. This chair, the big one, that's yours. <laughs> I'm like, you could sit in the rolling ones, but it's not as easy to work on you. So it's a really cute way of, you know, they know where they're going to sit. I mean, it's pretty obvious, uh, but just lightening the mood, if you will. Um, at that point, uh, I mean, everybody's protocol is completely different, but I'll have them sit down. I'm like, aren't you glad we didn't double book you today? And they'll look at me like I've lost my mind. I'm like, yeah, this way you don't have to sit on anybody's lap. So <laughs> I love that one. It, it, it really, it really helps. Um, as far as kids go, guys, when you get them to the room, you say, okay, Jane, big chair's yours. I use that for both. Hop on up. And then um, if they haven't been in a dental chair before, no problem. You say, okay, this chair is magic. It goes up and down and back and forward. And my favorite one is when I let them hit the buttons. You know, let them test drive it, if you will. Because it really, like I said, it distracts them in case they've, you know, got some anxiety on board. And you let them press the buttons. And my favorite is <laughs> when they're pressing the recline button, I go out of my way to say, beep, 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 beep. And it's really cute because, you know, it reminds them of like a garbage truck or <laughs> anything, I guess, that beeps when it goes into reverse. Anyway, so it's super cute, super fun. Always amenities, guys. Amenities, amenities, amenities. If your practice is not invested in them, go for it. Find a, a screen with the arm on it. Find an iPad that you can hook to the chair. Something that's a visual distraction and audio distraction for that patient. Not all of them like it, and you'll be able to fill it out and see which patients want to be completely coherent in their procedure. Like They want to be talked to through every single step. Uh, but there's also the ones that are like, okay, just let's get this done. Distract me as much as possible. So if you can find some DVDs, um, I know that offices use Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. Let the patient pick their own show or movie and then let them go into their happy place and then communicate with them as needed. So it's super nice to have a distraction, guys. They will love it. You will love it because then it helps, you know, utilize your time better when you're not communicating as much if they want that. <laughs> okay, guys, this will be my last one for today. Um, once you get the patient in the operatory, a great way of communicating with them when they get in is say, okay, do you know what you're in for? And some of them will say, yeah, I think I've got a cavity over here that you guys are fixing. 
or um, I think I need a cap on this tooth, take the opportunity then to have all of your images ready to go. You've got your x-ray, you've got your IOC, you've got, if you have carry view, you have that up. You have all of the clinical diagnosis notes from when the treatment plan was created. You go through it, it was like, yeah, Dr. Smith saw this when you were in last. I know that they're concerned because you have an existing filling in this tooth and it's leaking and you've got some crack lines and it's super important and I'm so glad that you're here today to get this taken care of. That way they are on the exact same page because the worst thing you ever want to do is skip this part of the appointment and jump right into place and topical, guys. And what if they're like, whoa, why are you on the top left? I thought we were fixing the bottom front one. So you want to make sure that before any gloves go on, anything has uh, even started to percolate as far as the, the actual treatment goes, make sure you communicate with them on exactly what you're planning to do that day. That gives them an opportunity to not only acknowledge uh, that they know what's going on, but they can voice their concerns if, in fact, their treatment plan for something that they um, either didn't recall or weren't aware of. And then here's what I want you to do. If you're not taking blood pressures on every single patient, do it. <laughs> There's absolutely no reason not to. It is a huge plus, not only for the patient, because you can help monitor their health. Like say if there's something on the blood pressure, you know, that say systolic or diastolic is like crazy out of control. It's just reiterating that you as a dental professional don't just treat teeth, you treat people. And so complimentary blood pressure is not only good for you, uh, depending on your procedure and how much anesthetic, if it's needed, what types of anesthetics to use, or if there's an underlying health concern that needs to take priority. You guys are their advocate, so blood pressures. I know a lot of times in the past I have been at offices that offer anti-inflammatories prior to any treatment that requires the patient to stay open. It's a huge complimentary service that doesn't cost a lot, but it goes a long ways. So how I approach that is say, okay, um, if you're able to take ibuprofen, we offer an 800 milligram complimentary one before you have your procedure done. This will help with post-operative pain and tenderness in either the muscles or the teeth, anything like that. So like I said, I, I say it's complimentary and it's, it's super easy to do and the patient will appreciate it. Uh, and then, yeah, <laughs> so review your health history, do your blood pressure, offer the, offer the 800 milligram ibuprofen if you have it. Um, if they can take it, I know there's certain medical conditions where people aren't able to take an anti-inflammatory, depending on if they already are taking something on a daily basis for their medications. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to DA Rockstars. Again, let's band together as a dental assisting tribe and share our tips, tricks, and pearls so that we can all be better and do better. So until next time, keep on suctioning. Hey, DA Rockstars, your host here, Rhonda Holman, with episode number six. All right, guys, I am going to attempt to keep this in a somewhat chronological order. Um, so I figured since the last episode was about receiving the patient and, you know, kind of steps that I take when um, getting ready for the procedure, I figured let's go ahead and get our feet wet. Let's jump into fillings first. Um, I think that there are some good tips, tricks, and pearls that I might be able to share with you guys if you aren't already doing it to try and help you up your game. 
Okay, guys, so what you've done is you've gotten your patient in the chair. Hopefully you listen to episode five and you're up and running as far as uh, the steps you need to take before you actually start a procedure. So let's go ahead and jump into a restorative procedure, such as, say, number 14DO. Let's keep it simple. What I want you to do is acknowledge to the patient what the anesthetic is going to feel like. Sometimes there's patients that either don't remember the way that their tissues felt or their mouth felt after their last injection or they've never had it before. So some good vernacular to use is what you want to do is you want to describe them if they're getting an injection, say they're getting a block on the lower quadrant. You want to make sure you tell them, okay, so the way this tooth runs on the same track as the other ones. So as we expect this tooth to get numb, so do we expect the other teeth on this lower quadrant to get numb as well. So they all run on the same track, and that's going to go all the way to the middle of the lip and half of your tongue. I know that a lot of times people are wired differently, and some people actually require like a a buckle injection. Um, but a lot of people, literally, if, they, if the dentist administers a really good block, they'll have anesthesia effects all the way, like I said, half the tongue, half the lip. And you're going to tell them, that it goes from tingly to fat. And when it gets fat to the middle of the lip, you let me know. That way you know it's time to go ahead and put your rubber dam on if you guys use that for isolation, which, by the way, I think is amazing. Um, This is where a lot of dental assistants have a hiccup. What they do is they don't test the tissues prior to placing the rubber dam. They just assume that everybody is the same and that they give the X amount of time from injection time to placement of their isolation unit. That's not always the same, guys. I need you to check. What you do is you go, you ask the patient, "Is uh, I'm going to check to see if you are numb appropriately. By this way, you let me know. You take a, you can take a, like IPC or something that won't actually penetrate the tissue, but can, can be pokey or pushy. And so I'll test around the tooth that we're working on, come up the, to the midline, test the lingual, test the buckle. You let them know, let me know if it's pushy or pinchy. If it's pinchy, guys, they're not numb. They're not ready. <laughs> That's when you go ahead, you reload your anesthetic, and then you call the doctor and you say, you know, um, we've got good tongue signs, but we're, we don't have any lip signs. Another key point to this one is, especially if it is a lower, guys, throw the panoramic up on the screen. (laughs) Have it ready and available. Because sometimes, like I said, not everybody's created equal. And sometimes people are wired differently. So a pano is a good reference point for the doctor so that they can kind of look at where the joint is and see where the nerve bundles are as far as the block goes, you know, kind of help them if they need to go higher or lower for placement. So in my last segment, I was kind of all over the place. I got, you know, lost on my buckle anesthesia rant. Um, But let's go back to 14, shall we? (laughs) Okay, so here we are. We've uh, we've confirmed that the patient is numb, and we want to go ahead and place your rubber dam on, guys. Know your clamps. Know when you need an extended clamp. Know where the caries is. Know... um, when you need to isolate one tooth versus a quadrant. By the way, if you're working on 14, I would really hope that you guys punch out all the way to the bicuspid on the opposite side of the arch. It's super helpful because then you can see the entire field and you don't have to worry about shadows and it's easier to collect water um, at the base of the rubber dam um, than if you were to just punch to 
like if we're working on 14, if you just punch to nine. Um, so that's a really, really good tip. Like I said, get it all the way over to the other side, bigger field, better vision. Um, when you're placing that clamp, guys, especially on the lingual, a lot of dentists don't like to give palatal injections, which I totally understand because if you've ever had one, they're super not fun. Um, so don't expect that patient to be completely anesthetized on the lingual. So when you're placing your clamp, if you know it's going to be subgingival, like say you needed to use a sub-G clamp or the only extended one you have is sub-G, place some topical on that tissue before you go ahead and put your clamp on. And when you're placing the clamp, I'm not an expert by any means because I work with this girl, Carrie, and she's like the damn queen. <laughs> Literally, I should get her shirt that says the damn queen. She's amazing. Like, she can double dam like you read about. She never has any issues. Like, if I ever have a problem putting a dam on, say it's like number two and it's not fully erupted, she's all over it. If she can't do it, nobody can kind of girl. Um, but I digress. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So when you go to put that clamp on, make sure you slide down the curve of speed. I think that's the right term. The curvature of the tooth. So, you know, it's going to be more bulbousy in the center of the tooth the way the morphology is of a, of a human tooth. Once you get that clamp around there, just go ahead and just ease it in. You can take the forceps and just release them a little bit more as you go up towards the gingiva. So this will help you avoid placing the clamp on and then locking it in. Because what if you didn't lock in onto structure or right at the gingival margin? What if there was tissue in there? I can tell you from experience, not that I've done it, but I've worked with dentists that have done it. It really is traumatic. Uh, not only does it hurt the patient, but that tissue starts to become necrotic almost instantly a lot of the times. Because what you're doing is if you place that clamp on that tissue that's directly seated on the bone, the blood supply is harmed. And so you'll see it, it'll become like a bruise or it'll bleed um, at all costs, try and avoid that if you can. Uh, but if you can't, I mean, I'm a, I know that there's patients out there that have recovered fine. It's just unnecessary trauma if you just, like I said, start to loosen your forceps as you slide down the tooth before you get to the gingiva. That way you can kind of avoid clamping on the tissue. Okay, rubber dam is on. Everything is super awesome and isolated. Couple of tips I want to go over. If the doctor maybe underestimated the time frame between when you did the rubber dam placement, hopefully they give you the go-ahead and they knew their schedule, but there's a hiccup in there and the patient's sitting next to you and they're fully dammed and there's no doctor, no problem. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay with the patient. I want you to take the frame off, keep the dam on, and you can actually pull it to the side. This gives them the ability to breathe through their mouth if they need to, move the saliva around. You have a better field of vision uh, to see if they're starting to collect any saliva down there. And then as soon as you see that dentist or you can hear a jingle or there's a chuckle and a lot of dentists will you know, have a traditional goodbye to every exam they have, just keep your ears open. And uh, as soon as you hear those footsteps, you go ahead and put your dam on and you're ready to go. Um, hopefully nothing's come undone or any holes have slipped off of teeth or anything like that. Um, I know there's, there's some really good advice that I would like to give to you. There are people that breathe through their mouths, whether they have uh, congestion or allergies or physically can't breathe through their nose. 
when you put that rubber dam on, you take away their primary source of oxygen, the only hole that they use. So um, there's a couple things you can do. You can um, take some scissors and actually cut out like a little hole in the rubber dam and it gives them the ability to move air in and out through it. Um, I know a lot of people produce excess saliva, <laughs> you know, since the first step in digestion is saliva. And your body doesn't know that this is a foreign material. It's not food. But the minute you put something in somebody's mouth, a lot of times they will build a lot of saliva. Because like I said, the body's trying to digest it. If this patient has a hard time swallowing it on their own, go ahead and take the saliva ejector, put a little twist in it, and kind of like hang it down the side of their cheek on the opposite side that you're working on. It won't remove all of the saliva, but it'll help control the excess saliva so that the patient's more comfortable during the appointment. Um, also, stamps, guys. Seriously, I don't know how I never knew about this until a couple of years ago, but they're they're epic. It is super simple. Um, there's a ton of videos on YouTube and on the internet or wherever you're looking in the literature on how people are using stamps. So there's two different types. There's a occlusal stamp and an approximal stamp. For the occlusal stamp, you take block out and you just place it all over the morphology of the occlusal pits and the fissures and uh, you place a microtip on there and you cure it. And it pops right off. And so what you do with this is after the, uh, the dentist placed the composite, you can use this as a stamp to kind of recreate the exact morphology of what they came in with. And it really helps postoperatively because you don't have to adjust the bite as much because um, you know it's on point. And for the interproximal stamps, this one's if you use like a palladent system, what you can do is take your ring so you put block out on the mesial, or not the, I'm sorry, you take the block out on the buckle and the lingual, <clears throat> and you place it right in the embrasure, and then you put your ring on, and then you can add a little bit more block out just to secure it to the ring and cure it. And then when you take that off, you literally have a custom ring for your matrice. Um, and this actually, a lot of times, I won't even have to use a uh, wedge when placing the matrix on to fill the, the cavity space. Like I just, it's amazing. Like it completely seals at the bottom of the box. It's totally custom and it kind of replicates the contact that they had before they had to get it restored. Thank you everyone for tuning in to DA Rockstars. Again, let's band together as a dental assisting tribe. Let's share our tips, tricks, and pearls. I know I've got a few, but I know there's more of you out there that have even better pearls. Please feel free to share them. Um, I will distribute as much as I can. If it's going to be helpful, help you do better and be better in your career field, let's do it. We are professionals. We are rock stars. We are so awesome. And so until next time, keep on suctioning. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to DA Rockstars, your host here, Rhonda Holman, with episode 7. You're going to want to grab a seat for this one, guys. I'm about to blow your mind. I was fortunate enough to get one of my idols, Dr. Gary D. Wood, on the podcast this week, and I asked him to share his top five qualities that Rockstar assistants possess, and he was gracious enough to give us those. If you guys don't know who Dr. Gary D. Wood is, he's one of the resident faculty at Spear Education. He is one of my idols uh, when it comes to communication. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a continued education course at Spear in Arizona, and we were talking about orthodontics. And 
I realized what a treasure was in front of me when he said, instead of telling a patient that they need to have orthodontic treatment to open up a vertical or address crowding or spacing, he said, in order to predict the best possible outcome for your restorative needs, let's put the teeth in the right place. And I knew from that moment on, he knew what he was talking about. He was able to really just make it simple, make it easy to understand, and make it something that I could use as a communication pearl. So without further ado, Dr. Gary D. Wood. Beyond what's expected. So Dr. Gary, could you give us those five? Thanks, Ryan. It's fun to be here. Um, I think that the top five things would be these. Number one, and number one by a long way, is willingness. And willingness means pretty much anything. Right? What, what are you willing to do to be the best you can be? be? And the reason for that is that the more you learn, the less you know. And as you learn things, you just realize new things that you don't know. And so willingness for me was always the, the most interesting thing for me. It was people who were interested in what does this job entail? They would ask me and it would be fun because I would say, well, what do you want it to entail? Because there's two kinds of jobs. There, there's a job role and a value role. And the job role is all the tasks. And, and so the second thing on the list is there has to be some basic understanding of the tasks unless you're going you're gonna to train. Most practices are not set up to really train someone well. So I think the number two thing on the list should be some experience level that allows you to interact and speak the same language, unless you're gonna be a training facility for that person. And actually, a couple of the best assistants I know were trained in the practice they joined and had no previous experience. On my list, I was never set up that way, unfortunately. And so I, I usually look for people who had some understanding, at least tried it to know if they liked it. So on my list, that was kind of number two. Um, number three was being a team player. And so the things that I would ask is, you know, if you've been on any other teams where you worked with multiple people, what was your favorite thing about that? What was the thing you liked least? So you start to try and figure out, is this somebody who could be around a team and be willing to let other people do things their way and look at a common outcome instead of being fixed into protocol? Because protocol is wonderful, except it doesn't work for every person who's going to come through for us. So we got to be willing to do some things, some things differently. All right, uh, number four, I, I'm going to say you have to like people. <laughs> and I, I guess what I mean by that is that, you know, some people you can tell it, it's, it's not about being withdrawn and quiet. It's about do you really like being around people and do you understand that? And it means more about understanding how you get energized. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? And when we think of that, we think about people who are like up front talking to people and all that kind of stuff and get excited about it. Actually, in, in its original design that had to do with how people energize themselves. Extroverts get energy being with people. Introverts get energy by themselves. They have to find time. Um, I, two of the best dental assistants I ever worked with in my life were introverts. They were introverted and it was fun because they knew it. So at lunch every day, they made sure to go and find a place they could be by themselves, have lunch, you, we, didn't, it, we didn't grab them and have conversations. They needed to re-energize themselves by being alone for a little bit. Um, one of them was, she would go sit down in the back, and this was the time that I'm thinking we had computers. She always brought her computer from home. She would look at pictures of cats. <laughs> it was her way of re-energizing herself, okay? That's, I think that's number four. 
And then, um, oh God, I was thinking of number five and now it's flown away from me. But, oh, the ability to future focus. So one of the things that I've always asked people who come with us, I say, so where are you two years from now? And if two years is too soon, go to five. Tell, tell me what you see as a future. And the reason for that is what we do all day with every patient is we have to help them future focus. Yeah. And if you can't help them future focus, then a problem's not a problem. Nope. Because it just exists today. And, and today, it might not be a problem. <laughs> so future focusing is a really important thing. And I think those are probably my top five. Well, great. Those are great. You know, it, it all comes down to personalities and, and knowing what, what career field is right for you. And if you've already reached out to this podcast, that means that you are already passionate as a dental assistant. And our goal is to be better and do better. So, so, so thankful for Dr. Gary D. Wood for being here and sharing his top five with us. Well, speaking for dentistry and all of, all of dentists, every dentist I know, Rhonda, we are grateful for you. <laughs> we could not do what we do if it wasn't for you guys. So, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this podcast. As always, let's band together as a dental assisting tribe, share our tips, tricks, and pearls so that we can all up our game, be better, and do better. So until next time, keep on suctioning. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into DA Rockstars. Your host here, Rhonda Holman, with episode number eight. I have titled this episode, Where to Start. I thought maybe if I shared a little bit of my background and my story as to my why and why I've decided to expand my knowledge base in certain areas of dentistry, it might help to inspire you guys to find your passion, to educate yourself, to expand your knowledge base on what you like to do and what you can be better at. So stay tuned. Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you guys right up front. You know what you like. As a dental assistant, you know on that schedule if somebody's coming in for a root canal, if there's an eight-year-old coming in with a quad full of sealants, if there is a crown and bridge appointment, if there's an implant appointment, if there's an extraction appointment set up, you get the feels. You have it in your gut. You want to be that assistant on that specific procedure. So the first way to designate where to start is there. <laughs> I mean, you've already you've already notified yourself that this is something that you enjoy and this is something that you like and maybe something that you're good at. By the way, if you're good at something, it's almost indicative that you will like it. <laughs> uh, it's just human nature. It, it's not just in dental assisting. I mean, that's in life. But here's what I want you to do. If you have that feels, that passion for a certain procedure, go online Find the leading dentist or providers or specialist or whoever that is on the cutting edge of that specific specialty. Follow them. Join the groups that they're in. Go on YouTube. Watch as many videos. Go online. Get all the evidence-based research you can and just read it and absorb it. Because I'm telling you, the more you know, the better you feel, the better you are in your job. Um, With my particular story... (laughs) It's kind of evolved over the years, Um, but I remember it was about eight or nine years into my career field, and I had dental assisting on point. I mean, I was as good as I could be, and I wanted more, and I could see in my office at the time that there was a demand for something, and I honed in on it because it was something I liked. This particular situation was removable partials and dentures. 
um, I knew that at the time I was in a rural area and that if you took the impressions on the patient, you would have to send them to a lab and it could be days, if not weeks, until these people had replacement teeth. So I was fortunate enough to work with a dentist who had enough equipment and enough patience to give me the basics on how to make immediates. Um, I got to tell you, my first one, right out the gate, I thought I could conquer the world. I didn't need any training. Uh, (laughs) I had the best idea. So I had a patient that came in. He had, uh, I think it was 24, 25, 26 missing. And I said, you know what? I can make that guy some teeth. (laughs) And it was a really slow day for me. And I went back in the lab and I grabbed some composite and I formed little teeth. And then I placed them on the stone model and I did a suck down. And uh, lo and behold, the composite stayed in the suck down. And I gave this guy what I believe to be the coolest thing ever for instant replacement teeth. Uh, (laughs) When the guy walked out, he was all smiles, but I could tell that I needed a lot of work. I had no idea what I was doing, Uh, but I knew that there was something there. There was a spark the minute that I was able to get him something that resembled teeth in his mouth to cover up the black spots. From there, I went online. I learned as much as I could about removables, uh, making it with acrylic and like the different types of denture teeth. And I did it. So what would happen is we'd schedule a patient in the morning, you know, say we're taking out number nine and we need a flipper. I'd take the impressions. I'd let somebody else be chair side. I'd go back. I'd take a mandrel. I'd take off number nine tooth and I'd do some sculpting. And then I'd use my wax and my denture teeth and then I'd set it and then I'd take my form and then I learned how to play with acrylic and make a partial. And then by the time that tooth was extracted, I was able to deliver the flipper right away. It was the most gratifying thing. Of course, you know, there's always curves to learning, you know, as far as occlusion and making sure that the path of draw is good and that you have good retention. But the more you do it, the better you get. So I guess the goal of this particular subject is don't be afraid of anything. If there's anything inside you that makes you feel like, oh, this is interesting. This is something I could do. Try it. And if there's nothing that you like to do or that you haven't gotten the feels about, just ask your dentist, what feel do you like the most? What excites you the most? And then you can kind of piggyback off of them. Learn as much as you can about that specific procedure so that you guys can talk back and forth. You can better your skills. You can deliver information that maybe he or she missed um, just to help you guys do better and be better. So now that you guys know what my first passion was, like I said, it's evolved over the years. Currently, my passion is airway health. Uh, And every night I go to bed reading articles and evidence-based literature and I follow all the leading experts and absorb as much information as I can so that I know as much as I possibly can know as a dental assistant. um, I'm super fortunate. My team is amazing. They're all proactive. You know, they want to help the people attach the teeth and I literally immersed myself. You know, you have passion for something. The minute you decide to Google a certain condition or procedure or side effect instead of Netflixing, (laughs) that's when you know you caught the bug. That's when you know that all you can think about day and night is this particular field, uh, this specific procedure or condition or anything like that. 
So you'll know, you guys, when you have the feels and it's all you can think about, you know you've caught that passion bug and that you are on the road to elevating yourself in your career, to doing better and being better and bringing more to the table than just chair side. Because you guys are so much more than dental assistants. It used to be a dental nurse was also an office manager and also a clerk. Like the, the roles have completely changed. The way dentistry has evolved, it's a two-person job. It's no longer just the dentist. So you guys, give it everything you got. Find your passion. Just dive into the information. Do better, be better, and up your game. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to DA Rockstars. As always, let's band together as a dental assisting tribe to do better and be better. Reach out to each other. You know, find your passion. Find out what you can bring to the table so that at the end of the day, you know you are the best that you could be and that tomorrow you're going to be even better. So until next time, keep on suctioning. Thank you so much for binge listening to episodes one through eight that I was able to recover. DA Rockstars is here to stay. I plan on producing a lot more content. I want all of you dental rockstars out there to like our Facebook page. Shoot me any messages if you guys want to be on the podcast. If you have any tips, tricks, or pearls of your own to share, guys. But until next time, keep on suctioning.